Uh, we're working through the book of 1 Timothy. Last week we looked at 1 Timothy 5 and it was all about how to care for each other as a family. Now when I was growing up I was part of Scouts and Scouts was like a family. We used to care for each other. Uh, we looked out for each other and my dad is a member of Rotary and Rotary is a bit like a family and they not only help each other they help other people as well. But this uh, biblical family is different and let me explain why. The church is not a group of people who are, who are getting together to uh, improve themselves and help other people. There's nothing wrong with that, it's a good thing. But the church is a group of people who realise that they're sinners, realise they're not going to be able to improve themselves, realise we can't get on and we realise like 1 Timothy uh, has said previously that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so, having put our trust in Jesus and asking God for forgiveness, uh, God saves us, God changes us, and only then can we really begin to love each other because God is working to actually reconnect us with each other. That's what we saw last week. Now, this week, as we read on, we find that Christian love is not just some warm, uh, fuzzy, lovey-dovey feelings to each other, like a family reunion where you give your great auntie a kiss, then you go home and yuck, what was all that about? Christian love is a real, practical, put your money where your mouth is, looking after each other. And not just looking after each other, but looking after each other in a way that encourages people to be more like Jesus, not just make them feel good. Let's pick it up from verse 3, where Paul says to Timothy, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Now, in Paul's day... One of the main groups of people within the church who needed to be provided for were widows. There was no social security, um, no family payment, and widows uh, without any source of income because their husbands had died were very needy. Now, exactly which widows you help is where it starts to get interesting. Whenever there's free financial help, there's a line of people with their hands out, and it's not just a case of giving money to anyone who asks for it. The Bible says that we need to discriminate on the basis of who is really in need. Look at verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. So as Christians, we need to be generous because God's been generous to us. But don't be naive in the way you go giving out money. Don't help everyone who asks assess people's needs. And part of assessing them is firstly working out if they have a family who can help them. Because primarily, help is the job of the family. Look at verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so, repay their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. See the principle there? First of all, it's the family's responsibility to help people, not the church's. You can't put your parents in a nursing home and expect the government to fund them and the church to visit them. It's your responsibility. They're your parents. They supported you for 10, 20 years. Now it's your turn to support them. They washed your clothes. Now it's your turn to wash their clothes. They fed you. Now it's your turn to feed them. They gave you a room. Now it's your turn to give them a room. 
they changed your nappies, you may need to change their nappies. Uh, when my granddad went into nappies, I had the family privilege of inheriting his undies. That's what families are for, aren't they? Now, mum would ring and she'd say, Wayne, have you tried those undies on yet? And I'd say, mum, I can't do it. Like he was pooing them before he got into nappies. I just can't do it. She's saying, I've washed them. It's okay. What can I say? She's my mum. They sat in the cupboard for a long time before um, one day I was out of undies and I actually tried a pair on. It was all downhill from there. I couldn't go back. That's what sin's like. You do it once, it's all downhill. Don't do it. Now, now verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. See, my dad worked as a shearer for 40 years, leaving home at 6am every morning, working flat out all day in a hot shearing shed, coming home, spending money, providing for his family. He wasn't even a Christian. My mum spent 16 years driving me to sport, uh, scoring at my cricket games, cooking, washing, staying up late, helping me with school assignments, helping me when I was sick. Of course I'm going to help out my parents when they need it. If you're not willing to put yourself out and care for your parents when they need it, you're a fake. Look at verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See, there's nothing particularly Christian about caring for your parents. Don't give yourself a pat on the back thinking how good you are if you care for your parents. It's your responsibility. And the church wouldn't want that to take that responsibility away from you. The church wants you to be godly and care for your own parents. But... Maybe you don't have a family. Maybe you are really in need. Well, then praise God that you have a church family to step in and help. And in verse 5, Paul describes the attitude we should have as a church when we help such people. Verse 5. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. See, the, the godly widow who's in need, don't pity her. Don't look down on her. She's not the one you should feel sorry for. There's actually someone worse off than her. Look at verse 6. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. The poor godly woman who has to buy second-hand clothes, she's much better off than the rich woman who's a busybody the poor lady who prays for tomorrow's meal she's much better off than the rich lady who puts on a banquet and sits down with all her friends to gossip so when you help someone in the church don't look down on them because they're poor don't pity them respect them and help them like you'd help your mother we saw that last week in fact paul goes on to show how to help widows and I assume this applies to anyone who's in financial need, single mothers, uh, elderly people, whatever, how to help them financially, but in a way that still encourages them to be godly. It seems as we get to verse 9 that they've set up some kind of a list in the early church to help with this. What is this list? We're left guessing a bit, but I think 
Um, there are a, a, a few particulars uh, that Paul gives us. We do learn a few things. Firstly, to be on this list, you have to be over 60. Secondly, to be on it, you have to be godly. And thirdly, it involves some sort of a promise that you break this promise if you marry again. Put those together and it sounds like a list of widows on long-term assistance. This is not just a one-off help for a widow. This is when you make a promise to stay a widow, be supported by the church, and maybe in return you serve the church in some way. So in order to be on this list, you need to be a godly woman. That makes sense if it's long-term and you'll be serving the church. Look at verse 9. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Do you see the measure of a godly woman? One, a woman who is faithful to her husband. Number one, be faithful to your husband. Number two, a woman who is well known for her good deeds. Well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, such as showing hospitality to other people, opening her home, such as helping people in trouble, having compassion on them. Did you notice this is a list of examples, such as, okay, it's not a list of what women must do, such as washing the feet of saints. See, it's the kinds of things that a godly woman will be known for. They're all to do with serving other people. We might even add some, such as dropping in meals for people, such as visiting people in hospital. A woman who is well known for her good deeds. And as I read this list, I can think of women in our church family who are just like this. They're great women. They're wonderful women to have in a church family. Godly women. They're the kind of women that if we have a list for long-term help and they're going to be serving the church and we're supporting them financially, they're the kind of women we'd want to support. The church is not there to finance people's ungodliness. The church is not there to support sin. So if they're over 60 and they're godly, we can put them on the list of long-term help. But what about if they're under 60? What about young widows? Well, Paul goes on to that in verse 11. As for younger widows, don't put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. See, there's that promise idea. Don't ask a young woman to make a promise that she'll stay unmarried so she can serve the church and get financial help because what does a young widow need most of all? She doesn't need money. She needs a husband. My guess is that's what a single mum or a young widow would like a lot of the time, a godly man to come along. So keep them off the list so they don't make, have to make a promise so that if they choose to, they can remarry. But that's not the only reason to keep them off a list. If you put a young woman with no children on such a list and you give her money to support herself where she doesn't have to work, what will she be tempted to fill her day with? Verse 13. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle 
and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. It's not good for a young girl, and I assume a young fellow too, to be on benefits for the rest of their life where they don't have to work. She'll become a gossip. She'll stay at home all day watching the soap operas. She'll become a busybody. Other parts of the Bible encourage similar things to men. Work. You don't pay people to do nothing. There's a much better option, verse 14. I counsel the younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes and give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Why should they marry? So they can be busy. If you're a mum and you're trying to run a home and trying to bring up children and trying to love your husband, you don't have time to be a busybody. You're flat out finding five minutes to talk to your husband. You don't have time to go around gossiping, so keep people busy. Now, step back, and do you see the principle? When you help people financially, you need to help them in a way that encourages them to be godly. And so for young widows, that means not supporting them long-term financially. It means encouraging them to be mums. And for single mums, perhaps helping them with their kids. In a church, what matters most is godliness. Well, that's what Paul has to say about widows. Next, he focuses his attention to elders in the church because they too are a group of people who need financial support. And it's exactly the same set of principles that he applies to widows that he now applies to elders. See, just like widows, elders are to be recognised, honoured. Double honour, which I think from the next verse means financial honour, just like the widows. And it's exactly the same principle that he used about parents deserving to be paid back by their children. But this time, teachers in the church. Teachers in the church are in need because they're giving their time serving the church when they could be earning money. So it's payback for their services. So you don't give yourself a pat on the back thinking how good you are paying the people who who teach. It's your responsibility as a church. Verse 17... The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Paul quotes um, two passages to back himself up here. One from Deuteronomy, which says a church worker is like an ox, not that he smells, but that he works, so give him his pay. And the second passage is from Luke 10.7, a worker deserves his wages. Now, just as an aside, it's interesting, Paul's writing this about 60, 65 AD, and already Luke's gospel is in circulation, Paul's quoting it, and he calls it scripture. So that gives you an idea how early the gospels were written and that they already had authority by the time Paul was writing this letter. You hear these rumours that the Bible wasn't put together till uh, 300 and until then they weren't treating the Gospels as scripture. That's not true. But anyway, back to leaders. We want to encourage leaders to be godly. And so in verse 19, Paul adds what to do with an ungodly leader. Verse 19. 
Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses, because it's a very, very serious thing. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Again, the church is concerned with godliness. This time, we don't want to fund bad leaders. So when an elder, a church leader, sins in a serious way that is confirmed, the leader needs to be publicly disciplined, made an example of, not quietly stepped down and it swept under the carpet, publicly rebuked. Because the church is God's family. I pray that will never happen. I hope it never happens. But if one of us brings disgrace on the gospel, that's why the other elders will publicly discipline them. That's why it's important to appoint leaders carefully, discriminating who you appoint, not playing favourites. Look at verse 21. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favouritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. You don't put on a minister and elder quickly. You wait for the right person to come along, a godly person who can teach. And then you pay them to work hard for the church. Now, um, I, I stand out the front here confidently because I think DPC is great at supporting its leaders financially. Last year, we were heading for a $15,000 deficit bringing Alan on as a fourth worker, and at the AGM, we saw we're in the black now. You guys do a great job of giving to the church. So I want to move on from that and come back to the widows and caring for each other. Because this passage is all about how to care. And did you notice how practical it was? Being a Christian is not about being forgiven and going to heaven. In the middle, you get a job and you work to support other people. That's what a godly person does. You get dirt under your fingernails, grease on your hands, and you make money to support your family. That's what pleases God. And you persevere at work when you've had enough because you're supporting your family. And so you spend all day washing and cleaning the floor and picking up after the kids. That's godliness. And when you wonder why you clean the bathroom only to find it dirty again one hour later and you're tempted to think you could be doing something more useful with your life, you remind yourself, bringing up children, managing the home, it's useful being godly and when you've had enough of your job and you're wondering if there's something more worthwhile you remind yourself it's being useful i'm supporting my family it's being godly and then after you've helped your own family you turn to the people in your church family you find those among you who are in need and you help them too as if they were your family by about the 4th century AD, um, Christianity had pretty much spread right through the Roman Empire. But in the late 4th century, there was a Roman emperor called Julian the Apostate. He hated Christianity. He came after a Christian em emperor and he wanted to turn the Roman Empire back to paganism, serving false gods. The problem was, the biggest problem for him, was that Christians were so well known for caring for people. Everyone liked Christianity, even if they didn't like what Christians taught, because Christians were so good 
at caring. And this is what he wrote. When it talks about Galileans, he's talking about Christians because that's where Christianity started. These impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours also, welcoming them, welcoming them into the agape, that love feast, like, like our church feasts. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. While pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. Such practice is common among them and causes a contempt for our gods. So Julian decided the best way to defeat Christianity and the only way was to care for people like Christians did. So as a government, he set up hospitals and schools and he tried to put Christians out of the caring business. And I think to some extent it's worked. Look round, who cares for people? The government, schools, hospitals. It's the government's job. Put old people in a nursing home. Put widows on the pension. We don't have to worry about them anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. Those services are good. But we can do much better than that. Because as a church family, we really need to care for our members. And it might not be so much just about money. It might be time. It might be giving someone practical help mowing an older person's lawn, helping um, a mum with no father repair her children's bikes, maybe helping someone move house. Now, in your bulletin is a little form, and it's got two little uh, comments. I can give help by, I need help with. We're going to fill those out now as a way of helping. Did you notice that in 1 Timothy verse 9, Paul talked about a list of widows? A list, write people down. Sometimes we put people on a meal roster. Sometimes we have a list of people who help welcome people to church. And sometimes I get the comment, comment it's not good to have such organised care. You know, it's better if it's spontaneous. It's better if it's, it just happens. As if somehow organised care is less authentic. Well, spontaneity is okay when you have a family of five. It's easy to keep tabs on, on, on what to do. It's easy to drop in. But it's a bit harder when you've got a family of a hundred. Like David said, he's away sometimes and no one notices. Or maybe they do notice. But sometimes the best way to care for people is be organised. So people don't get overlooked. In the early church they had lists for widows. In Acts 6 we also find out that they had special men set aside whose job it was to hand out food to widows. You assess real needs... You discriminate, you help, and if it helps, you make a list. So that's what I thought that piece of paper might be for. I thought we could make some little lists. Uh, firstly, write down some things that maybe you need help with. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's chopping down a tree. Maybe it's getting your car serviced. Maybe it's doing some, having some sewing done. Maybe it's cleaning your roof gutters. Uh, maybe it's... Uh, getting a haircut, I don't know. Write down what you think some of your needs are as a family. Maybe it might be the needs um, of someone who lives next door to you. Then write down some of the things that you can help with. Maybe you're a good sewer. Maybe you can do the shopping for someone. Maybe you can do painting. Maybe you can do plumbing, whatever it is. And then 
we, the elders, uh, the leaders, will assess the needs and we might discriminate a bit and then we'll, we'll just see what happens. We'll, we'll see where it goes. So let's just take five minutes, uh, fill in those lists. Um, if you're a visitor, just have a break, I don't know, go and grab a cup of coffee, whatever. Uh, in five minutes, um, we'll collect those. Maybe the people on the committee of management could just walk up and grab them and then we'll sing our final hymn.